Here's a movie thing. I watched um, the first two uh, Star Wars movies, and I mean, you know, episode four and five. I was half expecting, I was uh, afraid that I would watch them and just be like, oh, this is just as bad as the new shit. It wasn't, uh, it functioned, they functioned as movies. And I would even say that the first one is like a very good movie. I'd probably give that movie like a seven and a half to an eight. I thought it was like really good, like really airtight, pretty solid cinematography, some nice punchy dialogue. It was great. What do you think of uh, Revenge of the- Revenge of the Bad Guys. With the return of uh, Empire Strikes Back. Empire, Empire Strikes. I thought it was uh, a little not as good. So, okay, I love uh, the opening scene. The battle, the snow battle yeah. is great. On Hoth. Yeah, that whole sequence is just so sick. And I loved everything on the Cloud City. But in between, it's just kind of like a bunch of uh, rigmarole, dude. It's like Han and company go on some zany adventures. They go to like the asteroid and then they're in a, a, a monster. And then... I thought that was the first one. No, 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 no. Is that the... That's oh, the really? second one, yeah. And then they go oh. to... They like kind of avoid a Star Destroyer by going underneath it. There's about 10 minutes of them trying to fix the light speed thing and then it breaking again and then they have to fix it. And then, you know, Luke's training, they could have done more with that. Like, I'm glad that that was in it because, you know, there's some justification uh, as to why he acquires powers. And even after a very long training, he still fails because he isn't ready. Um, unlike Rey, who, uh, you know, I mean, she's a Palpatine. Oh, she's know. a Skywalker and a Palpatine. So, of course, she has it. <laughs> she's a Skywalker. She has the power to make herself a Skywalker. I'm Palpatine Skywalker. Be because <laughs> she wants it. She wants it hard enough. Right. Anything she wants, she gets. But anyway, like the, the training is like a little. They could have done more with it. You could have seen some more like trials. You know, there's the cave and then it kind of just cuts short in the cave. Mm. It's a cool scene. But I don't know. It's just a lot of handstands. But then the ending of the movie, like visually and the Vader and Luke fight holds up so well. Like people make fun yeah. of, of the original trilogy fights, but I think they're way better because it feels like a sword fight. And yeah. there's so much like, there's so much character uh, interaction in that fight. There's so much dialogue and you can see in the way that Vader is fighting. Like it's really cool to see like when Vader intentionally is defensive and isn't trying to get any hits on Luke. And when he does try getting hits on Luke, like you can see he's like in total control of the battle and he starts it off by just blocking Luke's swings. And there's just so many, yeah. so much storytelling in that fight. It's so good. I loved it. Yeah. I like the, I like that set too, with just all the, like, it's so, it's really like stylized with all the weird oh, colored so lights cool. and it's dark. And there's like that, there's the red and the light and like all this, like, the darkness, yeah. and it's so cool. The lightsaber fight in in like New Hope is is kind of. Whack. I thought it was like, pretty I mean, good. I liked because it it's it is it's just like a little silly. It's like it's but like it's I do still prefer it to anything in the in the new trilogy. Yeah, I mean, I, I liked a lot of the like, especially as a kid because I watched like the prequel trilogy as a kid. Obviously, yeah. some of the fights are just cool. Some of them are absolute shit. I think like there's really. Not a single redeeming thing about Attack of the Clones. Yeah. Which is funny because everyone acts like Phantom Menace is the worst of the prequel trilogy. I think by far it's Attack of the Clones. It's been so long. I seriously don't remember. I really don't. I, I don't remember those movies at watch. all. I probably will. I want to watch Return of the Jedi because and I just had a great time, dude. 
here's the main thing about those movies yeah. is you can just see how much love of film there is. There's so much, there's so many like callbacks to other sci-fi movies. There's so much 2001 inspiration. Like the opening shot mm -hmm. is admitted by George Lucas to just be copied from 2001 where you see, <laughs> you see the tiny ship go by and then just the huge Star Destroyer. It's yeah, such yeah. great exposition. And uh, you can just, there's so much fun in those movies. You know, you can just. Yeah, and I, I love so much the soul. scrolling letters too. Oh, yeah. This is really fun. Oh, yeah. It's, it really is kind of like a space. Well, people say it's like a space opera, but it does feel kind of like a play. Yeah. It's just like you, you have that like expositional dialogue at the beginning or like expositional thing that's just like, this is the scene. Right. This is the setting. Which is like, I don't know, I used to not like it when I went through my like teenager phase. When I was a kid, I loved right, it. Right. And when I went through my like rebellious phase, I was like, wow, <laughs> exposition dump. That's always <laughs> right, bad. Right. And then it's just like, it, it like really fits the tone. It's just like Absolutely. so fun. Because it's just, it's a classic story. You know, it's a classic yeah. hero's journey. And it, it it's yeah. almost like the opening pages of a book, you know, it's like setting you up. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And they're way better written too in this than they are in, in the, the new stuff. Another thing I noticed was how restrained they are with the music and using the main themes and how so much of it is teasing the main themes, but then it'll do like a dissonant note and like change a little bit. And mm -hmm. you have to wait for that, the themes to come in. Whereas in the new ones, they just fucking throw the same theme over and over and like it loses any of its magic, you know? And I really like, because yeah. when I started watching um, Rise of Skywalker and the music came in, I was like, wow, I really don't feel anything from this music for the first time like i had some hope after after the uh uh the other two the other two new ones but it just kind of it just didn't happen i had no and hope. it just brought it brought <laughs> i was getting chills when the music came in in the new ones or the old ones rather it was like oh this is why it was so magical because it's used with such restraint and yeah. such, so intentionally i i say this like every time that we talk about this on the podcast but like the the main reason why I think that the, the the original trilogy and to some extent the prequel trilogy too are are charming is because like they tried to do something. Yeah. Period. Right. They tried to Period. do something. Yeah. Like, Absolutely. <laughs> the the new trilogy just like does not strive to do anything that hasn't been done no. before. Like it is literally just the most cookie cutter rehashing of what you've already seen. And it's like it's almost worse than that though, because at least in Rise of Skywalker, because it's not coherent. Like it doesn't follow a, a traditional yeah. structure because it like has no structure. It just is exactly. a bunch of things that happen. That's that's one thing that I gotta at least thank Rise of Skywalker for, because what a lot of people were arguing about, especially when The Force Awakens came out, even before the whatever the second one was, I don't remember. People were like, well, The Force Awakens is really good. Because at least it's competent. Yeah. You know, they're like, yeah, like you've right. seen this story before, but it's a competent retelling instead of just like whatever the prequels are trying to do. And it's like, that's so contrary to like good creativity. It's oh, just yeah. It's like, yeah, the prequels suck. Yeah. But not like, movies. George Lucas was like, well, I already did Star Wars, so I'm going to try and do, you know, like a different Star yeah, Wars. Yeah, exactly. At least he tried. Yeah. I'd rather you try and fail than not try at all, you know? Did you hear that he wanted to do like a microscopic Star Wars for the new trilogy? He like wanted, no. he's like, well, I've done, I've done like the huge expanses of the Space. universe. So I'm going to go the other direction. No joke. I'm not making this up. Germs? He wants to do a microscopic so Star Wars. I really want to see it. I hope he makes it one That day. is so cool. <laughs> what if it was just like, 
it was it, what if it was just a digital remastering of the original trilogy and then at the end of the word scroll at the beginning it just said but smaller <laughs> and that was, that was the only difference <laughs> i'd watch the fuck out of that um but anyway now hey for guys, something a little more back. serious welcome back to talkie talk guys today we have a, a little special episode of sorts is this really that special yeah it's special it's docutalk our first episode of docutalk okay the premier documentary podcast memoir talk this week on docutalk um we watched a couple documentaries that's where uh the name docutalk comes from because it was documentaries and we talk about them it's a play on talkie talk it's welsh in origin yes i picked they shall not grow old it came out in 2018 directed by peter jackson um imdb says it's a documentary about world war one with never before seen footage to commemorate the centennial of the end of the war uh a big thing about this is that it was uh there was a restored and recolorized footage from the war. Um, and that was what interested me about it. Uh, we'll get into more details, but Tyler, what did you pick? I picked, um, hold on, I'm on the IMDb page for Star Wars now. <laughs> I picked, and everything is going fine. It is a 2010 unrated Uh-oh. documentary directed by Steven Soderbergh. I guess you could say it stars Spalding Gray because it is... His, it's a movie about him, but it's comprised totally of, it's a post-mortem piece, so it's not like anything he does is specifically made for this movie, but it's strewn together uh, archival footage of interviews that he's done over the years and um, different uh, monologue plays that he did uh, over his lifetime because he was a monologuist. It's got a 7.1 on IMDb. All right, uh, uh, let's start. Uh, Tyler, uh, give a quick, give your 15 seconds on... Peter Jackson's World War One. I, I <laughs> Peter Jackson presents World <laughs> War One. It's so crazy Peter, that he a actually, Peter Jackson film. <laughs> he actually made World War One happen again, <laughs> just so he could get this footage. Um, I really liked it. I'm like a huge sucker for war shit. I've always like I I I've really always liked like History Channel stuff and everything. And I actually just last year watched like a. 10 episode docu-series on World War One, so I like absolutely love shit like this. Which had like the same gimmick. It was like recolored yeah. stuff. Yeah, I really liked it. I I mean I, most of these things usually are like focused around the more logistical side of things of like almost like looking at it like a game of chess that's been played. But like this was just really cool to see the human side of things where it was, you know, you know, it's all very personal stuff. There's no like overarching narrative retelling of things. It's like is um just told through the perspective of like people's interviews who were actually directly involved with the war and it's only really footage of like the the soldiers themselves there's no like overarching show of how the battles were fought and won uh i really liked it cool um that was much longer than 15 seconds i want you to understand that oh i didn't i didn't in editing um i'm going to let you speak for 15 seconds i'm gonna put a loud buzzer and then cut out the rest there's simply no way to edit that down I made sure there were no pauses. No, there isn't. There isn't. That's why I'm going to put uh, a buzzer in so that they know it's over. I, I'm also not going to time it. I thought uh, it wasn't as good as I thought it was going to be, to be honest. Um, I thought that uh, I really wanted more room for the footage to breathe. Um, and there was pretty much constant narration. And I, I do think it was a good thing to hear. I liked hearing the soldiers 
direct experiences, but I would have much preferred hearing experiences and then seeing like a couple minutes of footage and just letting it soak in. Like the footage was so incredible to see, but it was almost hard for me to focus because like I'm trying to listen to the talking at the same time, but also trying to see the details and what's going on. So it was almost, it was a little like frazzling for me. I still thought it was decent and uh, I thought the footage was incredible. Cool. Nate, what do you think about, how about your 15 seconds about and everything is going fine? I'm going to actually do 15 seconds now. Okay. Okay. On my phone, I'll do it too. Um, I really liked it, despite only seeing Spalding Gray in uh, one performance of Our Town, which is incredible. I found him as a person very intriguing, and I thought, uh, you know, there wasn't a ton of room for, like, little filmmaking things that you'd usually see, but it was all in the editing, I felt like, in the order that things were put together, and I really liked that. 21 seconds. Sorry about that, Tyler. Hey, I apologize. Okay. We, all, we all make mistakes. Yeah, I also really liked it. I've also only seen him in Our Town, and I just thought the seeing like the ups and downs of his almost like character development over his <laughs> life and the way that the movie was presented was like really fantastic and then disheartening. I feel like it kind of left on a sad note, but you know, whatever, yeah. it's chill. 20 seconds. Okay. At least we're, we were even there. Let's start with, um, let's start with that one. Okay. Um, where to start? You want to start? I don't know. Sure. I thought I had something uh, yeah, and I mean, then it disappeared. Uh, it's just really cool to see, it's just, a, I don't know. I really just liked it. Yeah. I, I, he's just such an interesting person. And I love the way that like, he's really unabashed in presenting himself, which really works well for like this memoir style film. Yeah. Cause you really just like, it's, I like how over the course of the um, movie, when more details come out about his personal life, although it's not as if like in the beginning of the movie, he's particularly like shy about, you know, relinquishing details about his life. Right. But like as it goes further on, it 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 moves his monologues move from these like semi lighthearted like neuroticisms to like just like it's clear that like it's like his therapy basically right and you really um just like feeling the I really like the juxtaposition of like how he presents himself and like these really difficult truths of his life in these theatrical settings and then you usually have that counterbalanced with him in a more um, intimate interview mm. uh, where he's being not like not so much more truthful about what he talks about on stage but just like more sober about it mm, in a way yeah and i don't know i really liked that presentation yeah yeah i did too it was sort of like unfolding um unfolding the course of his life uh they would cut between you know time periods of age when he was talking about it so they started when he was talking about his childhood and they would cut between like monologue shows that he was doing He'd be young in some, he'd be older in some, he'd be in the middle, but it was all about his childhood. And then he moved to the next step. And like, as he grew, that's how the the footage was put together rather than, mm-hmm. okay, here's him talking about his life when he was young. Here's him talking about his life when he was, you know, middle age. And here's what, like, it was ordered based on like what he was talking about rather than the actual age he was. Right. And it was interesting to see like little, you know, uh, how he told or delivered his stories sort of changed over time. And it was cool to see that switching around. Yeah, and I mean, it, it's a it's a difficult feat, you know, to try to sum up somebody's life in their own words yeah. in like 90 minutes. But I feel like I at least got like a, a, not surface level, but like just beneath the surface, you know? Like it's, it feels like there's much more, obviously, but mm-hmm. um, at least like a beginning of his own understanding, you know? Yeah. I thought that it was cool that they decided i mean i don't know how many interviews 
there are out there of like other people speaking about Spalding Gray. Yeah. But I thought it was cool that they decided to kind of keep it true to his like monologuist form mm. where it's like, it's just him talking about himself, but it is like different versions of him talking about himself at like different stages of his life. Yeah. Talking about different stages of his life yeah. too. And I thought that just made for a really compelling piece because it's just this guy observing his life at different points of his development and it really just kind of I, I don't know it's it's interesting it's such an interesting way to really I, I think it really succeeds at fleshing out his development as a person through just like it's not even a long movie no it's like 90 and minutes i think yeah and it's like and they ha- all they have to work with is the stuff that's set in stone because it's not like they can have him you know write something new for himself or anything right <laughs> so it's I, I I have to commend them for that. I feel like they did just a really good job of, I guess, like showing his character, which is kind of a, a, a narrative way of looking at it, even though it's a memoir kind of piece. But right. But I mean, I th- it does feel like that. I think it it fits with almost his own understanding of of life, too, where he talks about, you know, some people, some people work to become actors. Some people are just actors and they have to deal with that. And he always seems and he, it really admits to this, too, that. The way that he prevents things, or not prevents, uh, presents things is is theatrical and how he takes liberties with the details of his life and tries to uh, uh, like add some poetry to them mm-hmm. so that there is truth in there, but there is also some things that make it more uh, artful, um, which I think is interesting because just the nature of memory, uh, this is something I've read about that it's almost completely unreliable. Like we basically have like no 100% true memories because every time we recall a memory, we can change details um, and fill in the gaps. And um, sometimes we, you know, maybe exaggerate a little piece and then that we don't know if, you know, this is uh, exactly what happened or if this is just part of our telling. And it's a really cool moment early on where he tells a story about his, um, his father uh, at the golf course, like telling him the the facts of life. I was just thinking, yeah, yeah. And he's like, yeah, she's got a, a a turkey in the oven, and like this whole story about this woman being pregnant. And then it cuts to uh, a conversation with his father, and uh, he asks his father, "Did you actually say a turkey in the oven? I feel like you might have not, but I feel like it was something you might have said." And it's just like he is fully aware of what he's doing, but at the same time, he doesn't even know at that point because the memory has kind of. Uh, changed over right. time. Yeah, and I, I think he says, "Is that something that I made up?" Right. And I think the dad said something to the tune of, "Like, yeah, I, I can't, I can't always tell with you or something like that." Right. Right. I every scene that they have together is like very palpable and kind of uncomfortable. I feel like, yeah, often that with his dad, it's just like you have this feeling that there's like not a complete. It almost feels like too like. I mean, they're hugely different, like, generations of people, it seems like, because the dad is very, like... Yeah. Like, especially, he's uh, almost feels, like, old-worldy, when, like, he's... The, uh, in the scene where they're talking outside in the snow, and he's like, yeah, I'll probably... They're talking about him going back to Boston or something, and he's like, yeah, you should visit sometime. He's like, yeah, yeah, maybe. The traffic's sometimes bad, though, but... Yeah. You know, it's just like... <laughs> yeah. It's like, what? <laughs> From Providence? Like, Yeah, it seems like there's so some bizarre. distance between them, uh, for sure. Yeah, definitely. And, and the and the story that he recounts as well of him, like, coming home and, like, his dad had not told him that his mom died. Yeah. And that... I don't, I, I don't know. I feel like there was a... It, it's, it's so interesting to try and, like, 
piece together like his his life from what he gives you right because this whole movie is just like what he gives and it's i don't know i it's just darned interesting it really is yeah i don't really know like how to put it yeah i mean a lot of it it's tough to like sum up like i would to all the docu-talk fans i'd recommend seeing it if you haven't um because it really is just this stream of consciousness in a way that goes in and out of different time periods of his life and um i didn't expect it to be as compelling as it was like it's an hour and a half of just him talking about himself but I didn't get bored. I thought it was, it really took you along. Yeah. A lot of that reason is because he's just a great actor and a great monologuist and, and brings those skills to talking about himself. And it's really just, he's just a really good storyteller. And uh, yeah, so it is, it's hard to, to sum up for sure. You know, and I think even the movie itself finds it difficult to fully sum it up, but at least, you know, yeah. like I said, gives like a, a impression of how he thought about himself. And, um, there's one thing I found very interesting in light of watching uh, Our Town and the fact that he was the caretaker, I believe, is the character, right? Stage manager. Stage I think manager. He, he called it the caretaker, but either way. I don't think he did. He called it the caretaker, I swear to God. In, the, in this movie? Yeah. Perhaps. Yeah, he said, the character's he said name I'm playing is the caretaker stage, in Our Town. Stage manager is the character's name. Do you believe the guy that was in it or the guy who's Tyler? I don't know. Hold on, let me, let me check. I mean, it's not necessary. I want to just keep going. Let me grab my first first edition of Our Town with the original leather dust bound. jacket. Leather bound. Yeah, let me see. Uh, it's just uh, a journal that you wrote. Oh, stage manager. Oh, no. That's a shame. Well, Spalding Gray, dude, uh, Check out this wrote original it. dust jacket. He wrote it. I mean, that's, he has that's the leather bound nice copy. Thing. I think yours is faux leather. I think mine is a beautiful, kind of almost like a drawn on a doily. It's kind of cool. Wait, can I see the cover again? It's that's pretty reflect- cool. It's got it. Yeah, it's nice. Doll it's, it's a nice little that's cool. thing. But anyway, he had this quote that he said, um, I like telling the story of life better than I do living it. <laughs> Which is sort of the antithesis of our town in some ways. Well, the antithesis of like the the message, you know, of um Yeah. You know, uh, of every moment being precious and not to spoil anything. For the play that's great play. eighty years old. Or great so. play. Um but you know, it, that was very interesting to me that, you know, he played that character in a very, in a very compelling way. And yet he doesn't really fully uh, align with it. Yeah. Well, he just has this like really interesting way of speaking where it, it kind of actually reminds me of the character from Eight and a Half, where it's just like you can mm. tell just how like he's always firing, like he's always observing things and kind of like everything that happens. I, I feel like he observes over and over again, where like, I think even when he's talking about his father, like not telling him about his mother's passing, like you can see he's, I, I, well, I mean, I I can't say this for sure because like there's no possible way to see into his mind, but the way he speaks kind of like hints at this feeling of like understanding paired with his obvious like anger towards that move. Cause it's like, Mm. you know, obviously that's like a horrible thing to do to your kid. But when he speaks about his dad, like crying in the car, I think there is like a note of understanding yeah, uh, you know, I, I think he's a very like overthinking individual in that way where it's just like he can't bring himself to just look at things from like the one side. Right. You know, and I think I think that also comes about in like one of the later scenes which really stuck with me, which is when he's talking to the it was like after his car accident or something. Yeah. And he's talking and the dog starts howling. Yeah, that's and that's he, the very he, last scene. Yeah. Yeah. And he just like won't stop talking about like the dog howling and like how it's how it's relating to his uh, you know life and death and kind of like an omen 
Yeah, that scene was especially, I mean, it was a great ending. And I think, you know, it, it is just like by chance. Um, and he talks a lot too about like this idea of fate versus chaos and how he thinks, you know, uh, the world is chaos. But then this moment comes that really, uh, you see, it really affects him. And, um, you know, he almost first says it as, you know, he, he hears the dog howl and he, it almost sounds like he, you know, it's a dark joke at first, but then the dog keeps howling and like, right. he's still like kind of talking about it and like joking it, joking about it. And the dog keeps howling. And he like, at a certain point, like his face is starting to fall. And then at the end, he's just kind of <laughs> goes silent while the dog keeps howling. And then the movie ends. And it's like, you know, even though he has that opinion of of not believing in fate and just thinking everything is chaos, like it still hits him in that way that you wouldn't quite experience if you, I think, truly felt that there was no meaning to it, you know? Right. Yeah, he seems like he's very much like often in conflict. Yeah. I, I also particularly like the scene where he is, I think he's on either like 60 Minutes or some interview show on a major news network. Yeah. And that very familiar looking fella is interviewing him and he says that he's bipolar. And I think the guy is like, he's like, really? Come on. Or something <laughs> like that. And it was just like so bizarre. Yeah. Because <laughs> he was saying about like how he was being treated and he was bipolar. And I think the guy was like taken aback because like he was, he was just so like, seemingly put together in that moment and the guy it was so such like a hard scene to watch because he's like you know it's just is an interesting uh, this like interesting dynamic like that's shown inside of him that he's this really like incredibly intelligent and eloquent guy who can really like use his handle on words to kind of understand most things that come to him and then even in the end like he still has this incredibly difficult time struggling with the things that happen to him right and and it's almost like really difficult to grasp. It's like, how could somebody who's so intelligent, not only like in general intelligence, but like specifically intelligent in a way that his entire livelihood is based around making sense of nonsensical things, mm. basically. And then he still has trouble finding like meaning in life and still has difficulty enjoying himself. Yeah. It's it's like such an oxymoron. It's, it's really interesting. Yeah. And there's this really funny moment where there's... um. Uh, it looks like like a co- college student on stage with him as he's doing like the interviews, and um, the kid is like, uh, uh, "What do you think about the meaning of life?" And he's just like, "Well, now that you ask," and it's like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> sort of a lot of what he's talking about through the whole thing is like, yeah. you know, that's something that he's very uh, interested in. I think in his art and just you know uh, by uh, association his his life. Um, is trying to get at that meeting and and uh, failing to. So I thought it, it was interesting. There's like some good moments of levity too that I was like really cracking up. It has like a really good sense of dark humor. Um, yeah. Yeah, and he never feels like he... Uh, he has a lot of respect for the arts, it seems. And it seems like he does really subscribe to this idea as like the artist as kind of being not like different, but the thing that I often can't stand mm-hmm. in movies or pieces of art in general, which is like, man, the struggles of artists is just like ah, it's so hard making sense of the world when right. no one else is out there doing right, it. Right, right. <laughs> it's just like, but... So it's I don't, our lot in life, Tyler. It's our lot in life. <laughs> <laughs> he, he's, he does not take it like that far, but he definitely agrees. He definitely seems to have this idea as like the artist is like kind of a, a specimen almost. Yeah. But he never seems like disrespectful to other people. Like yeah. In the scenes that he shows of him on stage interviewing people, I feel like that's a fantastic opportunity to like, 
to kind of freak show them and be like, look at the difference between the artist and like the normal person who's just put on stage. But in, especially in that scene where he's talking with that woman um, on stage, I felt that it was like really respectful to her and yeah. just asking her kind of about like her thoughts on suicide and stuff. Yeah. It feels like he has the belief that everybody has that in them mm-hmm. and he's always trying to pull it out of people, you know, it's something that he yeah. does pretty readily but he tries to get other people to open up to him in that same way and does. I mean, there's this really, there's this moment I really liked where he's getting ready for uh, a show and he's like sitting at the table with his kids. It's just like a, a one of those folding tables. I don't know if he's like selling tickets or something like that. Like I think he might be selling mm-hmm. his own tickets or something. But um, a woman comes up who's working the show and um, I forget why they start talking, but basically he's like... Uh, can I interview you on stage? And she's like, no, like, I'm not, I'm not doing too well. And he's like, why? What do you mean? Like, what, what's wrong? He's like, well, I, you know, I, I, I didn't sleep at all last night. And he's like, yeah, I didn't, I didn't sleep either. And like, just kind of brings her in, in like a sort of intense way. And then in the next scene, she's on stage with him. Yeah. yeah. And it's interesting that she, he kind of pulled <laughs> yeah. her in. It's a nice thing. It's a nice thing to see that like, it feels like he's genuinely interested in other people. Yeah. In a way that you don't often see that, you know, he, he sort of doesn't have much respect for like social norms because he's in a position that he can be, that he can just dive in and be like, have you ever thought about killing yourself? And just like, right. it, it doesn't feel tacky and it doesn't feel insensitive. Yeah, I feel like oftentimes some people use dive right into stuff like that as sort of like a coping mechanism to kind of be like, see, look, I'm fine with it. I'm talking about it. So right, I'm fine with it. Right. And he does not feel that way. He seems like uh, really empathetic yeah. to people, which is funny because he often, he doesn't necessarily really come off as like warm. Right. He he feels somewhat cold. It's it's like the same feeling, honestly, that you get from watching him in our town, where it's just like, yeah. he delivers this incredible it's like honestly one of the best performances i've seen in like any role yeah it's incredible ever that whole that whole fucking play yeah that that that, that performance of that play is amazing that play is is uh truly humbling it's a incredible (laughs) it's one of a kind i like it a lot yeah but his performance in that too is just like it's it's heartwarming and like depressing Mm. and disheartening and and kind of like caring at all at the same time. Yeah. And it kind of feels like that's the, the, it just feels like that's him kind of the, at the same time. Like, yeah. Like he was the perfect person for that role really, you know, yeah, and really. just his disposition. Um, it fits yeah. so well. So I, yeah, I don't honestly have like too much more to say about this movie in terms of like movie stuff. Like it's, very, yeah, I really don't. Cause it's just, you know, yeah, somebody just filmed him. Someone just took like they're just like videos of him, you know. It's not like right. intentionally yeah. filmed. It's just like oh, they had like somebody take a video of this, right? You, like you can't really critique the cinematography too much because it's like nobody knew that this was going to be made into this piece when they right. were filming. Right? It's like it's all in the editing. It's all in yeah. the way and like the the curating of different moments and the order that they're presented. Um, that's really yeah. where the filmmaking shines. And um, it's interesting because I do think. Um, you know, uh, in my in my first semester at Emerson College, where Spalding Gray attended, quick shout, quick shout out, quick shout out to Emerson College. You know, one of the greatest um, art schools. Um, some say in the world. I don't think Long I would say that, out. but some say that. Long shout out to Emerson College. I think it's a little over the top saying that it's the the greatest art school in the world. You know, I mean, Spalding Gray went there, but so. Spalding Way Gray went there, so I don't Spalding Way, Spalding Way, Spalding Way. Anyway, which is where I go. I don't know if I mentioned that. Oh, yeah. 
in the first semester, we did this class, uh, you know, it was like foundations of, of media production. So we did a bunch of, of different stuff. And one of the things we worked on, um, especially for the final project, which was our, our, uh, a film that we just created, um, the editing, I feel like I didn't appreciate how much of filmmaking is in the editing. It's like half of it, just in how you put things together and the order and where you cut and picking the different takes and how they work together. It's so much of filmmaking. And I think it was it was cool to see here. Like that's the thing that they did to make this movie. And it really showed like how much uh, attention and care can be put into the editing and how much that can add uh, to a film. Yeah, I, uh, I mean, I don't know much about this film stuff, but <laughs> that, that sounds like something agreeable. <laughs> so, Nate, what would you give and everything is going fine? Um, again, it's kind of hard to rank it in the way that we would rank most other movies, but I'm going to say an eight. Yeah. I like it. Eight out of 10, I think. Yeah. I would also say an eight. Cool. Yeah. All right. Shall we move on? Allow this podcast to grow a little old. Uh oh. You know uh -oh. <laughs> Just like they didn't. Oh. Dude, I mean, it's kind of a lie though, because all the people we hear from sound pretty fucking old to me. Yeah, true. I can't believe they were able to go back in time to interview these people. It's incredible. But they only interviewed them in like 1960. <laughs> like they didn't, <laughs> they didn't go far yet. enough. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Something broke down. Yeah. Well, you can only travel back to when the time machine was invented, which was 1960. Right. That's part of how time travel works. I think scientifically, technically, that's how time travel works. The rubidium crystals only go back so far. Right. And they only started getting mined after the 60, it was invented. Because it's not like it, the benchmark is set by the invention of the machine. It's not like that puts up like a space no, time wall. No, it is. It, it's a space time but wall. It, well, it depends on what model you're using. If you're using the Sarnia or the Rutchinson's. I'm using the scientific model. Yeah, Rutchinson's works different though because it uses rubidium crystals. I think that's a myth. Anyway. It sounds like bullshit to me. That doesn't seem possible. I mean, I mean, unless you can get your hands on like a car that goes 80 miles an hour, like that movie that everyone likes. Oh, it took me a second. Um. Anyway. Back to the Future. Yeah, that actually, I like that movie. I haven't seen that in a while either, but I would like to. Um. Yeah, They Shall Not Grow Old. A Peter Jackson joint. Uh, okay, okay. Let's do it. Okay. I Yeah, like I said before, I'm kind of like a sucker for this stuff. I usually prefer the like more informative quote-unquote stuff, like stuff that actually showed like the fucking map with the big red arrows. Just, like, <laughs> yeah, this regiment right. attacked here at this right. point. But but I do like this because I've I've watched enough of that that like I I like the more personal stuff. Um I think on a storytelling level, it worked better for me than on like a technical level, I think. I think a lot of times I really liked the footage that was being shown and then about like an hour in, I started to grow a little tired. Uh, it started to I it started to grow old. A little bit, yeah. Um it just was like I, I really actually I'll, I'll take that back. I really enjoyed the footage pretty much throughout, but I thought that some of the way that they presented it felt like cheap. So you okay. specifically there was this moment that was annoying to me because it had a, a, a function of the use of film and sound that was really good for me and really also not that good for me. That was like simultaneous. Hmm. And it was the first time that they're talking about going over and getting shot at and like showing people dying. And they keep doing the like 
there's great I really like the effect of like the gunfire and people dying overlaid over the faces of the like smiling people mm-hmm. I thought that was really effective because it was this great juxtaposition yeah but then every like two seconds or so it would be like smiling faces smiling faces and then like it would do like a white flash like 2004 NTV <laughs> uh, <laughs> and then and then it would show like a dead body. Yeah, that did feel a little tacky to me, a little bit. Yeah, I was just like, but I, I, I get that from the sound, right? I don't need that because right. it's so abrasive that it, I, I really that kind of left a sour taste in my mouth a little. Bit. Yeah, that's how I felt about a lot of this too. Uh, is that it just seemed like sometimes there was just too much going on. Like you'd have the visuals, and I mean, I, I could see the argument that you know when it's in the battle, they were trying to get that overwhelming feeling, um, but like. When the battles are happening, like you have the gunfire, you have the music going on, you have the narration, you have the scenes with like really quick cuts between them. And I was just like, what? What is happening on the screen in front of me? Like It was really like, <laughs> I don't know. It was like a sensory overload for me. I was just like, and you have the flashing and like the, and it's just like, oh, I, yeah. I'm trying to just like, I really wanted to see, like I said earlier, the footage breathe a little bit. I wanted to really be able to try and get immersed in that. And I felt like it, it almost felt too much like a, a history channel documentary at points with just better well, restored footage. Quick, quick shout out to like old history channel, which is pretty good. Honestly. Okay. I, I like that That's stuff fair. a lot, but I, yeah, no, I, I agree that like, I, I wouldn't say so much. It felt like sensory overload. Like I couldn't watch it, but it just, it felt like it kind of detracted from the effectiveness. Of yeah. It. yeah. 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 It was still, it was still like watchable and I still enjoyed it, yeah. but yeah, yeah, yeah. It needed like two less moving pieces. Yeah, right. Like, if it honestly, if it was just the sound of people dying and getting shot and the smiling faces, that would have been great. Or if it right. was like no sound and smiling faces and then juxtaposed with dead bodies, that would also be great. Yeah. Minus the fucking like white flash. I yeah, hate tacky, that shit. Yeah. I can't stand that. And there were a couple of times too that I noticed that, I mean, I don't have any problem with like reusing footage. Because I think, you know, you could only do so much with, especially with how many people were filming World War One. Like, if you don't have enough footage to fill every gap in a 90-minute thing, yeah, it's not that bad. But I did feel that, like, there were some shots where they were clearly, like, moving the digital camera and editing across the mm, image. Right. And, like, zooming in. Right. Um, which worked for some shots where it was, like, clearly the same shots of, like, some soldiers sitting around and they zoomed in on someone's face digitally, which was fine. Yeah. Because, you know, it emphasizes different people and there's not much going on. But there was one scene in particular that really got me, which was like explosions going off in a field. And it was like whizzing around the field in this digital camera. Mm. And I was just like, why? <laughs> it's already like cropped like to, to, to two times scale zooming in on these. And it's just right. like throwing the camera around. And I was like, it felt so tacky. And I was like, man, this is... Peter Jackson's little touch, little action movie touch. I, I guess, you yeah, know. I don't know. Yeah, I agree with that. Again, like it really comes down to just like let the footage speak for itself, I think. I think yeah. the footage alone I I did like the narration, like I said. I, I liked hearing the experiences of the soldiers. Um there's some interesting things uh there as well that I want to mention. But just give us like some breaks to take in the footage as it is. You don't need to add like all this like you said, like all these like moving the digital camera all over the place. Just let it like the, the footage is enough, you know, um, yeah. it's more than enough. And uh, yeah, I think um, it reminded me, it didn't remind me, it made me think of uh, the Apollo 11 documentary that came out 
It was either last year or the year before. I don't know. I don't have a grip on time at the moment. Um, but uh, I went to see that uh, by myself in, in the theater. And that movie has no narration. Um, I probably have told you about this. Yeah, it's one of have. my favorite movies, period. But to just you know bring our, our audience up to speed. Apollo 11, uh, it was all footage that was like perfectly preserved in like a vault for some reason. And then they're like, oh, yeah, we have this vault. And then they took it out. So it's like all unforeseen, uh, all unseen footage. Unforeseen. And um, it starts like an hour before takeoff and just starts with like shots of the crowd and um, moves, you know, into takeoff, into the mission, shots of them in the spaceship, new shots of them outside the spaceship. Uh, but there's no narration. It just goes and it's one of the most compelling movies. I've. It, it, it felt like a thriller and there was no... There was no like extra editing on top. It was just the footage and just the way it was edited together. And it was incredible. It was it was seriously like a, a very powerful experience. And because the footage was preserved like perfectly too. So it just looked like almost HD. It was so sick. And that really showed like you don't need all that stuff on top necessarily for it to be compelling. I think they just could have mm-hmm. could have step taken a step back, given some more breaks in the narration. Um, and I think it would have been a lot better. Yeah, I think that it uh, I mean, it, I think it definitely wouldn't have worked as well without like narration completely. Yeah, I agree. It like, have... Yeah, you can't do the exact same thing. But yeah, because I I did like that it didn't really tell the story of the war. Like it didn't tell the course of it, or right. Why it happened, right? Or like what ended up happening because of it. It just told everything from the perspective of the people who were in it. Yeah, which I thought was great. I that, that's probably my favorite aspect of it. It, it just does it so effectively that like. It really puts you in the position of these people who are just like, you know, their the real experience was just like they leave the city and they live in a trench for like years yeah. and then all of a sudden it's just over. Right. You know, it's not like they see the big red arrows like pushing across. Right, right. The 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 boundaries or something like that. And yeah, I, that, that worked really well for me. Um, I really enjoyed that. And I liked the transition from the beginning, from the black and white small aspect ratio mm. box in the middle of the screen to then like enlarging and becoming the whole of the screen and, and being colored in. I really liked that. Yeah. I remember I read somewhere, I think it was like a Reddit thing. The theater that they went to at least had the um, curtains like closed to the extent that only the like box was yeah. uh, present. And then when it switched to color, the curtains opened, That's which cool. I'm sh- like must have added a lot to the effect. Like really yeah. sick. Yeah. That's something I like a lot when, when theaters take the opportunity to like add something to the experience. Yeah. There's two instances I can think of. One is once upon a time in Hollywood. You saw that, right? Yeah. I didn't see it in theaters. Though. Oh, okay. Um, in theaters, watched it on the telly. when uh, the final like title comes up, the lights like switched on, like there was no fade on. It just, they were just on and it was like a break in the fantasy, you know? That's the thing. That was really cool. And um, when I saw Midsummer, they didn't raise the lights during the credits and they just kept them out for the whole credits, which was really cool. I love stuff like that. Dude, I miss going to the fucking movie theater so much. (laughs) Yeah. So much. Uh, Movies are, movies are fun. Yeah. I'm glad I was able to see Sonic the Hedgehog in theaters before everything closed. (laughs) A for that. Yeah. <laughs> there's something a little different about like seeing, I mean, there's a lot different about seeing a movie in theaters, but like you would think, 
some of my best experiences watching movies have been watching bad movies in the theater because you'd mm. think that with a bunch of people around, you wouldn't be as like pressed to laugh at a bad movie. Mm-hmm. You, it's just like you don't know these people. But like, I went to see Slender Man. Oh yeah, no, we <laughs> saw it, didn't we? Did you go? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, dude, when yeah. you watch fucking Slender Man, that's like one of my favorite experiences in theaters it was in general. Fun. Just because I was like. I, I I knew that that would not be as funny at, at home as it would be like I can't believe the like the humor was that like why the fuck did we just pay like fourteen dollars to watch his right. absolute shit movie. the money you sunk makes it better for sure it does for sure. it absolutely does yeah that was a really fun experience it's fantastic anyway I also liked that it was small and then big uh, one thing that they talked about that I wanted to mention I thought it was very interesting. Uh, the way that they looked at like the German troops and how they kind of had mutual respect for each other in some ways. Right. Like they would rob them. Like, they would take their watches. There's that one guy who's like, yeah, yeah I just took like, like eight whatever. watches. But like there's footage of them fucking around with each other. And, and you know, a really interesting one was where um, somebody says that immediately after getting back to camp, being captured without even being asked, like four German soldiers picked up a stretcher and like helped carry one of the uh, wounded people. And it's very interesting. The guy makes a joke like, I don't think the Geneva Convention makes them do that. (laughs) I don't even think the Geneva Convention was around before World War I. I think it was Uh, after. I don't know. I don't know. But I remember he said that. It was a gaffe. Yeah, I was thinking about that and I was like, I don't think he... Yeah, whatever. And just interesting that they could also see that the Germans were getting tired of it and just didn't really want to fight anymore and how they were getting tired of it too. And they had a connection over that in some ways. Um, Cause you always think like, you know, they're, they're going to be at each other's throats and like you, you automatically vilify the other side and they just yeah. kind of didn't. And they were just all kids or a lot of them were, and they just like fuck around with each other because that's what they would do in normal life. You I love know? the part where they're like talking about how it's everyone hates the Prussians. <laughs> Even when the Germans are like, give those guys hell. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's so bizarre. So funny. Like, was, and then they were just like, yeah, the Prussians were fucked. Yeah, they were, they were, talk about they were monsters. They were all monsters. Yeah. <laughs> so funny. <laughs> Ruthless animals. So funny. After being like, yeah, I mean, I think the Germans, they were all, I respected them as as men and as soldiers. But dude, the Prussians. <laughs> Fuck the Prussians. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Even the Germans hated the Prussians. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Another thing that really was impactful was when they when you saw the uh, mines going off and the colorized yes. footage. And it was just like devastation that you couldn't believe. Yeah, just like that, the ground being one. ripped up into an orb. So crazy. That's the thing that, like, you can't help but feel, like, kind of grateful that we have this footage of, like, people being, like, absolutely, like, eviscerated. Yeah. And, and, like, ground being blown up because it's just, like, you just, you can't, you obviously can't, like, do that. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. (laughs) Right. Right. Like, you can't do that, but sometimes you can. Yeah. And when you can, if you have a camera, you can capture it. Yeah. Yeah, true, true. (laughs) But it's just, it was just funny because the whole time you're, actually one of the guys I thought, it was like immediately before this guy talked about it, I think 10 minutes before this guy said this statement, I was thinking like the exact same thing and he surmised it pretty well where he was just like, he was talking about this guy with his guts hanging out and he was just saying how like, it was, he was just like wonderful display of anatomy. Yeah. yeah. And I was just like, 
he's as fucks fucked up but he's kind of not wrong where it's just like you're never gonna be able to see footage of people like being blown apart right for real right and like now you get to like well <laughs> it's kind of horrible you could you could be a filmmaker in uh russia and make come and see and just bomb and just say, fucking yeah. bomb your actors <laughs> and just fucking kill a cow if you really want to insane dude insane yeah it's crazy how it looks in real life when you like, especially I remember the shot of the like horses. There's like a yeah. guy like sitting and eating or something on top yep. of these two like yep. eviscerated horses. Yeah. And I was just like, wow. Yeah. Like that's just like, you can't, you can't ever see that anywhere else. It's just like two like open corpses of these giant, giant animals. It's like, yeah. where, where can you see It's that? a side of reality that we don't really see often. Um, and yeah. just like the desensitization, desensitization, is that it? I don't know. Yeah. Of, uh, war, you know, uh, that you don't usually see, you really only think of in, uh, abstract ways and that really seeing it is, uh, you know, humbling as they would say on the streets, cool in a whack way. Yeah. And I think that's what I they, would I agree. That's what they say. I'd have to agree. <laughs> there was one, I only, you know, there's so much carnage and just brutal, disturbing shit the only time i looked away was when they showed the gangrene i couldn't handle that yeah i couldn't do it (laughs) that was so i couldn't do it it was so weird i so i was watching this movie and then um it it got kind of cut in half um because my my we were having like a family dinner so i thought i could finish it beforehand and i couldn't so i watched it and i was like totally like okay with it yeah I, I made it. I made it like an hour and fifteen, maybe like an hour and, and five minutes in. Yeah. Past the gangrene, and I was like, "Wow, this is just like a supremely interesting movie." And I was like, <laughs> "I didn't have a problem with it." Yeah. I ate dinner, and something happened over the course of that like forty minutes. <laughs> I just came back to the movie, and I was like, "I was like, I, I was like cringing, like <laughs> you know the feeling you get when like something sharp comes near your eye, yeah, and your whole yeah, yeah, yeah. Body just is like, Ugh. yeah. It was like that. All of a sudden, I like couldn't watch. That's bad, couldn't buddy. Watch. It just sunk in. I don't know what. You're like, oh yeah, something. Wait, something in the food. This really happened. Um, we were real people, <laughs> but it was good. Like there are just some decisions uh, yeah. that messed it up. They didn't mess it up. Made it not as good as it could have been. Yeah, definitely left me like thinking about those moments though a lot like when i what i remember just like watching it and seeing that digital camera pan and i was just like man this sucks take a step back yeah (laughs) but for the most part i really enjoyed it. your hands off the mouse peter jackson he's just over the editor's shoulders like no move it like this move it is there a way to move the camera even when there is no camera (laughs) (laughs) i'm just kidding peter jackson has made more fantastic movies than i have so lord of the rings is good the first lord of the rings is very good yeah that's dude i think that just be what we say in the next uh all podcast just be what what is there to say about it you know what can you say say about it it's just really good the end anyway um what would you give this one i'd probably give it a a seven i think yeah i was thinking the same thing seven a very very agreeable podcast this week yeah dude on the same page this this monday really uh really gelling um yeah we do yeah all right so next week tyler what the hell are you gonna watch? I don't. I, I don't see much. Uh, the, uh, the wind rises by a higher. All right. Why don't you say this in a way that I can put on the podcast? He's worked on. Cool. So I need you to say it again so that people can hear it. Right, no, so please. Here goes. <laughs> ye, ye, All right, Tom. Cutting your thing out. Next week we're watching The Wind Rises, and we're watching John Wick. We'll see you guys then. <laughs>